Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. finish our three-week series called uh, called If My People. And before that, you can go ahead and go online to your YouVersion app. All your notes are available on there. Just download that YouVersion app, and all of it's there. You search for Love City Church. It's all there for you. Save it to your profile, and you can go ahead and uh, follow along there if you'd like. If not, all the, the verses and scriptures are on the screen behind me. But we're going to continue our series uh, called If My People. We've been in this three-week series, and uh, two weeks ago, we, we, uh, we started this journey on a 21-day of prayer and fasting. My, the goal of my message today is to strongly encourage you, not mandate you nor expect you, but to strongly encourage you to consider fasting for the next seven days. Now, you say, Ryan, I've already fasted for two weeks, or maybe you say, Ryan, I, did, I don't want to fast, or I didn't fast at all. That's okay. This is your new starting point right here. My strong, I believe the Lord really impressed on my heart as the pastor of this church, to strongly encourage you to consider fasting uh, this week. And something is going to happen this week in your life. I believe strongly that if you, uh, the scripture says, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray and will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Look at that word, then. When you respond to God, God responds to you. And I believe this week God wants to do something in your life. And so you can go online to lovecitychurch.ca forward slash prayer. There's all sorts of different ways you can fast. Just to give you ideas. Maybe it's social media. Maybe you want to do a Jewish fast where you, you fast from sunup to sundown. Maybe you just want to skip a lunch or, or a breakfast. But I don't care what you do. But I encourage you strongly to fast this week expecting God to do something significant in your life. We are not done yet. God's not done doing something great in your life. And that's what we talked about three weeks ago. What I spoke was on humility. But that's the position we need to come before the Lord in a place of humility. We need to lay our pride down. Bassie did a, a masterful job teaching us on prayer. And today, we're going to talk on this idea. Uh, don't be too afraid. It'll, it'll end on a good note, but it's going to sound a little scary when I read it. Uh, to, uh, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways. And so we're going to talk about that today, what it looks like for you and I to turn from our wicked ways. We see in this verse that God is actually identifying what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's saying very clearly, if you're called by my name and you're my people, these are what my people do. My people pray, my people seek my face, my people are humble, they're not prideful, and my people, they position themselves to be turning away from their wicked ways, to turn away from the areas of their life where they are focused on their agenda or areas of their life where it's, it's not about God, but it's about yourself or your sin or areas in your life that God wants to put his finger on this week that he might do something significant in your life. You say, why would God say this to Solomon in this scripture? Solomon had just built the temple, the temple that was reserved for Solomon to build, that David wanted to build, but God said his son was going to build it. So Solomon built this magnificent temple. And he went through all these things. The thing was complete gold, and it was beautiful, and it was enormous. It was the place where the manifest presence of God was going to, to live. And he built this temple. 
And he stood in front of all the people of Israel. And he got on his hands and his knees. And he, he began to humble himself and pray this prayer. God, in our key text today, is actually responding to a prayer that Solomon made. In a previous chapter, Solomon began to pray this prayer. And our verse today is God responding one chapter later. I believe this week is our one chapter later. That God's going to speak to you this week. And this is what God, this is what Solomon prayed. He said this, if your people, this is uh, 2 Chronicles 6, 24 and 26. If your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you. Notice it says that if, when they sin, they are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned, sinned against you. Verse 26, if the skies are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. So he says, when, you, when we sinned against God, there's no rain and the skies are closed. But say, okay, but what is this sin that we're talking about here? The Bible actually teaches us about this sin, helps us understand what this sin is. It's in Psalms chapter 19, verse 12 and 13. Look what it says. How can I know all the sin that's lurking in my heart? The author is assuming there's something lurking in your heart. He's assuming that there is something going on in your heart and in your life that is lurking on the inside of you. And he clearly identifies what these things are. The first thing he says is, Lord, cleanse me from these hidden faults. These are faults like envy or jealousy or one of those things you've ever had that time when you had a situation and, and a circumstance, something bad happened and you responded a certain way and in the moment it felt right and then like two weeks later you look back on that situation and realize, oh my gosh, I was wrong there. I screwed up. I shouldn't have said that. I was prideful. I was jealous. I was envious. I was this. You know, I had those moments where you look back and realize, whoa, that was kind of nasty. That came out of me. Those are hidden faults. You cannot help your hidden faults. They will always be there until the day you die. They're just in lurking in your sinful nature. They're just there. But the author identifies another type of sin. And this one, he says, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Look what he says. Don't let them control me. So the assumption here is that number one, it's premeditated. It's a kind of sin where uh, I know from my life, I have these types of sins. There's all sorts of them, but maybe the sin where you know that if I go here or I do that or I engage in this, this is going to be the result. I'm going to meet a fleshly desire if I do this, this, and this. It's premeditated. I know I'm going to fall short here, but I want to so badly. Or maybe you go into a situation where it's not your intention initially, but you're in the situation or you're, you're thinking the thought and you don't stop that thought. You, you allow that prideful thought to continue and now it goes from a hidden fall to a deliberate sin and you allow it to continue. These types of deliberate sins are in every area of our life. But you have to notice what the author says here. He says, Lord, let those deliberate sins not control me. This would insinuate that these types of deliberate sins in your life, which I have and you have, there's not a person in this room who does not have deliberate sin, it would mean that those deliberate sins have the potential to take the place of God in your life. They have the potential to sit on the throne of your heart rather than Christ. That's what the scripture shows us, that there are two types of sins. Hidden sins you can't control. Deliberate sins have the great capacity to control you. And in fact, you're deliberately doing those sins knowing that they do not honor the Lord. And so this is what Solomon is talking about, these types of sins. But he also teaches us, Solomon does in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, the impact of sin. 
He shows us in, again in the verse, he says, if, you, if your people, Israel, are defeated by their enemies. And so an evidence of sin in your life is when you're being defeated on a regular basis with this area of sin. I just can't seem to conquer this area. Or maybe you're continually defeated by thoughts of death or thoughts of fear or thoughts of anxiety or these types of thinking. It's just this deliberate thing. and You do it and then it conquers you and you're defeated by it. And I just can't get it. And I just can't beat this temptation. And I just can't seem to get over this hill of temptation and sin in my life. If you're constantly defeated by it. Or the second thing that he shows us here is that the skies are shut up. Maybe you feel distant from God. You feel dry. There's no rain. You feel like, oh, man, I've just been a while since I've connected with the Lord. And I read my Bible and I don't experience anything. And I worship and I feel distant and I feel guilty all the time and shame. And this is the results of sin. Jeremiah the prophet goes a little bit farther and Jeremiah 17 helps us further understand he, the very end of this verse, which I didn't put in here. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know its depth? And look what he says in Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Who said it? The Lord. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. The New King James Version says that they don't even, they don't even see good when it comes. So even when God is trying to respond to you or God is trying to bless you it's like that old story you probably heard it before where a man is uh, in a flooded environment on top of a home and he says God help me and you've probably heard this story and someone comes by and says can I help you and they say no 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 I'm asking God to help me and another person comes along with a bigger boat and says hey can I help you no 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 I'm asking God to help me and then a helicopter comes by and says do you need help? no 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 I'm praying for God to help me and the man dies and goes up to heaven and says God why didn't you help me and he says I tried four times we're like that in, in this area of our life where we, we experience this, this. We don't even see good when it comes in front of us. And so here sin is defined as being defeated by areas of your life continually. Or sin is the, the result of sin would be that you feel distant from the Lord. Or the result of sin would be that you feel as though you're distant from God. The result of sin can be that you feel like you're far from him. That, that, that you're barren. You're not seeing growth. You have a feeling of hopelessness. Maybe you feel isolated in a dry place. You might be here today and say, Ryan, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have deliberate sins in my life. You might want to check if some of these things are true. You might actually have these deliberate or hidden sins sins that are actually keeping you back from experiencing everything God has for your life. These results of sin in our life are normal. You might say, man, I'm not like that, or I never want to get there, or uh, listen, you're going to get there. We all sin. We all fall short. We all get to this place, but how do we respond when we begin down this cycle of sin? And Jeremiah teaches us this, but He's defining what these wicked ways are that God is referring to. Hidden and deliberate sins that cause hopelessness, barrenness, cause us to be distant from the Lord, and cause us to be defeated by something in our life that we just can't seem to break through constantly in our lives. And so we look back at this idea of, of, of fasting. There's two reasons why I want to fast. I really encourage you to take this next seven days seriously. Number one, because I want you to know Jesus better. Number two, I also want to identify areas in our lives that we may have turned from the Lord. Either areas where you know about or areas that you're unaware of. It's easy to come into to January and the new year and want to go into autopilot because things are going well. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a little bit of fear when it comes to my year because, man, things are going pretty good. People say, how's your year going? Well, my year's going really good. And I think, ooh, I kind of cringe when I say that. Well, what's going to happen next week? Am I going to lose my job? My girlfriend going to break up with me? I don't have a girlfriend. I'm just using a hypothetical situation. <laughs> I hope she breaks up with me. What's going to happen? And so well, we don't want to rock the boat. Man, I had a good two weeks. God moved, and it was so fun. He's answering prayers. Yay! Well, good. But now we've got to come to the wicked ways part. And realize that in order for you to experience everything that God has in store for your life, you have to create space in your life for him to identify hidden faults and deliberate sins in your life. In fact, you might say, well, why don't I just wait for him to do it? No, why don't you go in the proactive and say, all right, Lord, I'm an open vessel. I'm ready to do, in the next seven days, God, begin to move in my heart in such a way where I want to turn from these ways. This word turn is a very interesting word. It actually, the, the actual Hebrew definition of the word is to make a non-linear pivot move for a change in direction. What a weird definition. The non-linear, uh, linear is when something is in sequence, is in order, is, is uh, calculated, is logical. A non-linear is when things are erratic, when something's sporadic, when it's abrupt, when it's not logical, when it doesn't come from human thinking. It's just this non-linear is like when you just make a sudden shift, a radical change, an abrupt shift. When, you, when the scripture says that if you're dealing with sin, to pluck your eye out. Do you want to know why I don't use social media anymore? That's me plucking my eye out. It's too much temptation to compare myself to other people. There's too much temptation to, 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 to get into the narcissism that's in our generation today and allow myself to become the God instead of God become my God. So I realize that tendency, that that's a hidden deliberate fault. And I don't think people realize that we're buying into narcissism when we engage constantly on the social media platforms. And the reality is I had to gouge my eye out. Radical, non-linear shifts. And the idea of a, a pivot move is if the example is if you're in a military and the commander was giving you instruction, march and move forward and move back. He is your pivot. He's your, you're resting on his command. You're resting on his direction. Whatever you pivot on in your life, maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's a habit or maybe it's an addiction or maybe it's something in your life, but that is your pivot. And so you're making an abrupt change from what you used to rest on, what you used to balance your life on to the thinking that you used to have, this kind of moving thinking and saying, no, I'm going to make a turn, an abrupt shift to put my attention on God. We think it's this, okay, I'm going to start this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to start that. No, this scripture is saying, make a shift, gouge your eye out, cut your arm off, do whatever it takes to experience what God has for your life. It requires you to make a change physically, mentally, and spiritually, and you can't just wait for someone to come and slap you on the bum. you got to do it yourself. God will partner with you in this and he will make a transformation in your life like never before. And so here we see here's humility, there's prayer, and there's a radical shift. This idea of turning is actually a major theme in the New Testament. I'll use one account that I referred to two weeks ago. It's in Acts chapter 2. The disciples had uh, been with Jesus. Jesus resurrected from the dead. And these men were the account. About 120 men saw Jesus. 500 actually saw Jesus resurrected in body form from the dead. There's some evidence there historically proving that. He met with these disciples and said to the disciples, listen, I'm going to send you my, the Holy Spirit. You need to stay here. 
And Jesus ascended up into the clouds. And the men were standing there watching. And two angels appeared and said, why are you looking up into the clouds? He's going to come down the same way he went up. Oh, you need to go back into the city. So these 120 men and women went into the city and they went up to the upper room and they began to pray. They began to ask God to move for about a week. They humbled themselves and they prayed and they believed that God said he was going to move in my life. God promised he was going to come. He said he was going to send the Holy Spirit. God promised he was going to do that. And guess what? The Holy Spirit came and a rushing wind from heaven and tongues of cloud rested on their head. And it says in the Bible that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke intelligible, intelligible words. They didn't speak intelligible words such as uh, referred to in other contexts, this tongue or this language, they were speaking languages of nations represented on that very day that came from all over Israel to, for the census. And so here these people are hearing the glory and the wonder of God in their language. They're hearing of the message and the gospel of Jesus and the wonders of how great God is in their own native tongue. They thought that Peter and his disciples had a, had a crazy party and were super drunk. And so they said, all these men must, must be drunk. They, they, must, they must be drunk. And Peter stood up and said, no, 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 we're not drunk. And look what he said, Acts chapter 2. We all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? And they asked each other. And Peter stood up on the top of this balcony. People filled with the Spirit. And he led by the Spirit, spoke these words. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you killed. And he will be Lord and Messiah. These men are there hearing that the testimony of God, hearing that God's going to come back in his glory. And then Peter has the audacity to look him in the eyes and say, I want you to know that you crucified Jesus. He's saying he went on the cross because of you. You might be today and say, that's kind of harsh. Why would Peter say that? Because our sin is the reason Jesus went to the cross. So if you think about it in these terms, we realize that it is our deliberate sin and our hidden faults that led Jesus to the cross. He had to take all that sin on the cross that you and I might be saved forever. And these men heard these words, these powerful, convicting words from Peter. And look at how they responded. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. The Holy Spirit comes down. He speaks through Peter. The word hits their heart. And it says in the scripture, their heart is pierced. That word pierced there actually means to be pricked. It means to be cut to the heart. It means to, to nudge, to pain. The, the, to pain the mind sharply, to agitate the mind, to stab or gouge, to greatly trouble, to, to, to uh, sting with a prick. 
So the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preaches a message about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit goes to these men and women's heart and he pierces their heart. He pricks their heart. He nudges their heart. And their response is, well, what am I supposed to do now? You've convicted me. I'm sensing the conviction of my sin. Do you know that that's why the Holy Spirit came down? Look at this scripture in John chapter 16. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away, Jesus is talking, because if I don't, the advocate, our friend, our comforter, he won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. He'll convict the world of God's righteousness and all of the coming judgment. You see that that is the three of the things the Holy Spirit will do is he will convict of sin. That is his, one of his job descriptions. He comes and he convicts our lives of sin. He comes and he, 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 he challenges us in our thinking. He challenges us in our heart patterns. He challenges us in our motivations and in our behaviors. Look what it says. The word convict means to convince someone of the truth to reprove, to accuse, to refute, to cross-examine a witness. The Holy Spirit is comforting and he's loving and he's caring and he's our friend, but he's also one that comes and he wants to pierce the hearts of the people so that they might respond, okay, what am I supposed to do now? And Peter's response was turn. Interestingly enough, I found this very interesting. This word pierce is actually only used one other time in the New Testament. The only other time it's used in the New Testament is in John chapter 19. Let's read it together. Now it was the day of preparation. Jesus had just been crucified. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want bodies to be left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who was, who, who, would, who was crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. So these other men, they looked at him. Well, the reason they would break their legs is because when you would break the legs of an individual on the cross, they would not have anything to support themselves. They would drop down and they would suffocate. And so even though they looked completely dead, there was a good chance their pulse was holding on for dear life. And so they didn't have any physical external uh, uh, evidence that they were uh, alive, but they, they looked dead. And so just to make sure, we're going to break their knees with a club and they'll go, and they'll choke. Now when they came to Jesus, so the reason they did that was to make sure these men were dead. Then they came to Jesus. And it says in the scripture, Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it had given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and testifies that you also may believe. This is actually historical evidence you're reading right now that John, the, the disciple of Jesus, was actually saying, I was there and saw this. I watched this happen. It's historically proven that John saw Jesus Christ on the cross in physical form. And he watched him die. And it says in the verse, these things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Why did they pierce Jesus' side? They walked up to Jesus and he looked dead. He appeared like he had died on the cross. Had all the, the features of death. But just to make sure he's dead. 
I'm going to shove a spear right up his side, through his rib cage, right into his heart. It hit the, the right ventricle of his heart, causing fluid of blood to come out, and the water from, his, from his, uh, the liver side of his body came, all the water and blood came out. The reason they stabbed that spear in his side, they pierced his side, was to make sure he was dead. The same word is used when the Holy Spirit came down and his word came to the people and they heard the word, they were convicted of their sin and the Holy Spirit pierced their heart to make sure they were really dead. Many of us today are here and we have the, the, the outside look of death as followers of Jesus. We appear as though we're following God. We, have, we, subscribe to the, we subscribe to the magazine, we go to church, but the Holy Spirit wants to come this week and he wants to take an area of his heart and he wants to pierce your heart. He wants to prick your heart. He wants to convict you of areas of your life and say, okay, young man, young woman, are you really dead? Are you really ready to follow me? Are you really ready to give up your life? Are you really ready to be the person that I've called you to be? Because if you are, there is great things I have in store for you. The Holy Spirit wants to come and he wants to pierce the side of your heart. He wants to come and he wants to speak to you this season. But he has to first make sure that you're really dead to yourself. And this theme is all throughout scripture. John chapter 12, look at this. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus uses the example of a kernel of wheat. The bran is the covering of the, of the kernel of wheat. The endosperm is the inside and the germ is the reproductive, the, the multiplier right here. And so this has to leave its comfort zone. It has to leave where it's been. It has to leave its old way of life. It has to leave the stock where it was, where it received sustenance and it received friendship and it received partnership. But it will remain it. As it is, it will not multiply. It will not experience growth. It will not experience hope. It will not experience everything that God has for that seed unless it falls to the ground and actually dies. If it remains where it is, if you stay where you are, you will remain only a seed. You will simply be a follower of Jesus Christ who goes to church and leaves church and goes to church and leaves church and never experience the multiplication of joy and peace and love and hope and breakthrough and transformation that God has for your life. We have to leave behind us the idea of religion. We have to leave behind us the idea of fake faith. We have to leave behind us the idea of if I do these religious things, then I'm going to multiply. No, you have to die to yourself. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do this week, you say, Ryan, this is a hard message. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this week, I believe what he wants to do is he wants to put his finger in your heart. Because listen, if you remain just a seed, you're just going to remain this for the rest of your life. But think about this for a minute. One kernel of wheat dies and it creates just one bushel. One stalk, just one, one of these in this picture can produce enough family or enough flour for a family of four for 10 years. Just in this one bushel, 
is approximately over a million kernels. And in each of those kernels is potentially the reproductive capacity to fill an entire football field of wheat. What God wants to do in your life is he wants to produce harvest. He wants to produce blessing. He wants to produce multiplication. He wants to produce life and joy. He wants your marriage to be restored. He wants you to get over that addiction. He wants you to have faith, not fear. He wants you to have hope, not death. He wants to do this in your life. But I want you to understand, in the journey of being a follower of God, in the process of what it means to be a disciple, you cannot put your Christianity on autopilot. You have to understand it is a daily recommendation by God that you turn from your wicked ways. And if you want to experience, you're here today and say, Ryan, I haven't been able to experience more than just this basic level Christianity. This is your key, and it hurts like heck. You think in your mind, oh man, this is hard. This is kind of tough. It's a hard word. It's a hard message. The reason Jesus said this to you is because you think that he wanted to go to the cross? In fact, look at the scripture in John 12. Right after our verse, it says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Look what he says. Whoever serves me must follow me. Follow me where? He's talking naturally right then and there. He's about to go be crucified on the cross. And he says, if you want to have this life that I've promised you, you've got to follow me to death. But do you think Jesus actually wanted to do this? Do you think that this was his desire? Look what he says. Right after that verse, he says, my soul is troubled. That word soul is psyche, his emotions, his mind, his heart. That word troubled is like the picture of a big storm coming in. And it's just all this storm tossed. And you're in the middle of this boat, in the middle of this storm. Jesus himself admitted he did not want to go through this process. He did not want to die to himself. That, that's what he's saying. This is, I'm struggling. What am I supposed to say? Just, Father, save me from this hour. Just take me out of this. Is this... Does this really have to happen? Look, it says, no, this is why I came. This, this is why I came here. This is why I became a Christian. This is why I became a follower of God. Not because it made me feel good. Not because I like going to church. Because I want to be like Jesus. And I want to experience his life. And I want to bring glory to God. And I want to experience what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I hate to say it, but that comes through turning. It comes through repentance. It comes through death. It comes through laying your life down. It comes to allowing the Holy Spirit to, to come into your life and the comfort of your home and the comfort of your good life and say, all right, Holy Spirit, I want to create some space in my heart and my mind for you to come and pierce my heart. Okay, the tough part's over. Take a breath. It's over. I want to talk a little bit now about the results. There's a cause and effect when it means to be a follower of Jesus. You, you cannot spend a life in eternity in heaven unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If your faith's in Allah, your faith's in Muhammad, your faith's in Buddhism, your faith is in some other religion, I want you to know here today, I'm telling you the gospel it's a transaction. Faith is the currency for you to get into heaven. Faith is the currency for you to have a relationship with Christ. Faith in Jesus is the currency. So you see that if you don't have faith in Jesus, there's no interaction. You think, well, Ryan, isn't it just, isn't it just free? It is free, but it requires you to have faith. 
In the same way, you say, okay, Ryan, faith gets me into heaven through Jesus, yes. But faith doesn't only get you into heaven. Faith in Christ also gives a life on this earth that is beyond anything you ever could imagine. And that transaction is dying to yourself. An identification of areas of my life where there's deliberate sin or hidden faults and not denying that or being prideful about that, but being real about it. God, I got this thing in my life. Holy Spirit, come. I'm going to really press into you this week. I'm going to read my word. I'm going to spend time in worship. I'm going to spend time in prayer expecting that you're going to convict me so that I can experience this life, eternal life on earth that you expected me to have. The reason I'm so passionate about this, and the reason I chose to preach this very difficult topic today is because I believe, and my heart was broken this week when I prayed for you and I prayed for the Christians in this city and the Christians in this nation. We are just on autopilot. When we, we are missing out on everything God has for us. We're missing out on everything that God wants to give our lives. We're just... Some of us are just in a religion. Some of us just like the idea. It makes us feel good when there's so much more. There's breakthrough. There's transformation. There's blessing in your finances. There's blessing in your marriage. There's blessing in your children. When your children can't sleep at night out of fear, you have a God that you can come to and say, Holy Spirit, my advocate, make that enemy go away and fear will flee. God is on your side and he wants to respond to your prayers. He wants to respond to you. And it's proven in scripture. In Acts chapter 2, 37 to 39, they said, turn to God. And look what happens. This is what God says, or Peter says. Each of you, repent of your sin. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. The promise is to you and to your children. Think about that for a minute. Your decision this week. Your decision in general to press into God, to really ask the Holy Spirit to begin to, to show you areas where you need to turn is not just about you. It's about the generations and generations of young people. Why do I press into God? Not just for me, because I want my son and I want my daughter to serve the Lord. Because I want my son and my daughter not to have to deal with the things that I dealt with. I want to see breakthrough in their life and in their kid's life and in their kid's life and in their kid's life. And in generations to come, I will break generational things that have happened in my life because I made a decision that I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to really see, am I really dead? Am I really, truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because my family is at stake. This is a then week. If you turn from your wicked ways, then. This is a then week. This is a then week. God is not done with you yet. I felt so strong this week that God is not done with you yet. Come on, hear my words today. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this because I believe God is not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. Come on, I speak against apathy in the name of Jesus Christ. God is not done with you yet. There is more. There is breakthrough. Areas of your mind, there is breakthrough. Areas of your body, there is breakthrough. In your relationships, there is breakthrough. 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 This week, this season, this time, God wants to break through in your heart and in your mind like never before. Stop expecting nothing from God. He will respond. 
He will respond. I, I just feel so strong that I need to hear my words. I'm, I'm going into something here this morning. I'm speaking to the psyche and the heart of your, of your minds and your hearts right now. God wants to do something significant in your life this week. He wants to bring change in your life this week. Something new, something new, something new. Breakthrough in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants to do it this week. This is an if my people week. And if you'll join me in this journey, I believe God wants to do something absolutely significant. He is not finished with you yet. The last verse I'm going to read this morning, and James, you can go ahead and come up, buddy. This is in John chapter 12. We just read this verse, but I felt I, felt I should define for you the why. Why? Do we want this to happen in our lives? What's the result? Well, the Bible says, that if my people who are called by my name, will you experience healing and forgiveness? Acts 2 says, you'll have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life and in your kids' lives. The Bible says that you won't just, when you die to yourself, you're not just going to remain a single seed. You're going to produce a harvest in your life of joy and peace. All those things are great. and All those things are for you. But Jesus identifies in this last verse. He says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, bring glory to your name. My prayer this week is that you will understand that God wants to bring glory to your marriage. He wants to bring glory to your relationship. He wants to bring glory to your finances. He wants to bring his glory. He wants you to live in the area of his glory. He wants to manifest his glory. He wants so strongly your life to be a picture, to be a worship of glory to God. That when you go to uh, balance your checkbook or go to buy that thing or to go to be in that relationship, it will just bring such crazy glory to God. That in every action that you have this week and everything that you do this week, that it will bring glory to God. When you die to that emotion and you die to that relationship and you die to yourself and you die to these things and you let the Holy Spirit come, the only reason that Jesus died on the cross outside of uh, for our sins was that he might bring glory to the Father. My prayer this week is that as we pray and ask God to come and minister to our hearts, as we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us, come on, just close your eyes for a moment. That he would identify areas of our life where there's hidden sin and deliberate sin. There's been so many great responses this week. People, John told a story at Pursue Night where he, God's given him ideas for business. And, and there's people experiencing financial blessing. And there's people who've experienced healing in their body. And there's people who have said, I've had the best communication with my wife and ever and relationships. And God's doing something in our midst. And what the enemy wants to do is come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to dampen your understanding. He wants to keep you, uh, you're on the very precipice of doing something great. And what God wants to do is minister to you, but the enemy wants to make it about your emotions. I didn't feel it, therefore I didn't go for it. The enemy wants to come and still kill and destroy. And we push him back in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, right now I pray for every person here. Lord, this message that I preach today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, today we come and say, Father, firstly, thank you for sending your son. 
That, Lord, our death, our, our, our death to ourselves, Lord, is only hard when we try to do it on our own. But when we trust in you, when we rely on you, when we turn to you, God, something significant happens in our life. Something transforms in our heart. Something happens in our mind. And today, God, I pray that we would not give up that we would press in for one more week, God. We'd press into your word and press into our time of worship and prayer. And this week, God, we would experience transformation, breakthrough, something new in our life, revelation, Father, of your word, revelation in areas where we don't have clarity. God, do something new in our life today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do it as you do it with such grace and such love, and such forgiveness. I pray for those in the room right now who, when I talk about deliberate sins, know exactly the sin. They know the exact sin, whether it's a sexual sin, maybe it's a prideful sin, maybe it's just areas of your heart and mind that you've turned yourself away from the Lord. You know exactly what that deliberate sin is. The best part about serving Jesus is that His forgiveness is available to you right now. And Father, right now, we just pray that as we worship today, that you'd come and you'd reveal to us these areas. You'd check our spirit. You'd convict us, Holy Spirit. You'd pierce our heart that we might experience, Lord, tremendous life through our death. In the name of Jesus Christ, come on, let's worship today. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.